This podcast is powered by SEM Wealth Management. SEM Wealth Management, where your faith, your values, and your investments align. way to be back with my two friends what a wonderful day to be here uh, my locations changed see behind me a bunch of banners for colleges i am literally in my wife's high school math room uh, she's a teacher and she helps these kids get in some of these schools uh, but thank you for joining us my name is garland scott of sem wealth management to my to my uh left on my screen is ed dudley and ed is a very good friend of tw- oh, 20 years now we've known each other and us two knucklehead old uh retired wholesalers said <laughs> You know what? Let's 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 talk about things. We always talk it up in restaurants to people in a way, and uh, so we put that put together this podcast. And it would never be complete without the spicy girl Rubling with us. And uh, Greer joined us a couple of weeks ago, I guess, after her uh, journey, the financial advisor experience was uh, was conveyed over these broadcasts, and she was so dynamic that we we had to at least invite her to join us, and she plays great. Uh, it you know allows to do this so. Here we are, Ed. Hey, thanks for, for joining us. Great day, all. Uh, Greer, how are you feeling today? Feeling good. Feeling good? Always happy to be here. You feeling spicy today? Uh, I, you know, the spiciness, the spiciness gets cranked up the older I get and the more experience I have. I just realize, you know, like... If you're thinking it, then someone else is probably thinking it. So you might as well say it and <laughs> make some new friends. Or not, you know, eliminate Why not? <laughs> I will tell you, if you're not following Greer on LinkedIn, first of all, she puts out some great content, but she shares things from the heart sometimes. Um, and sometimes as men, we don't think about being in the industry. So definitely... Uh, Go go find her on LinkedIn and give her a follow. But today, I am I'm feeling good because not only do we have uh, a gentleman uh, that I have a lot of respect for, um, we have a gentleman that's actually part of the Ballhead crew, and um, it, it's it's so Garland's covering up that ball head today. But uh, oh, there we go. We look like a bunch of chocolate M and M's, but. <laughs> I'm exactly this. This individual is just. Uh, I've known him for a number of years. Um, I met him during during my travels. Um, very experienced, uh, classy individual, and I've never had a just a crazy interaction with him. And I'm happy that he agreed to join us today. So, bringing to the stage the man, the myth, the legend over in Tennessee. If you don't know him, you will know him real soon, Mister Jerome. Franklin, how you doing today, sir? Pretty good, pretty good, Ed. Nice to see everybody again. I see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's it's Jerome, it's been a, been a number of years. Jerome, where in Tennessee are you? I'm in uh, Memphis, so oh. I actually live in. We're in the suburb in Germantown. I live in Lakeland, so yeah, it's a suburb well, of Memphis. I, now I got a reason to go to Memphis and eat the. Got to come to Memphis. <laughs> got to come get the barbecue. I'll tell you where to go. So what Jerome doesn't know, the very first time I went there to go visit them, um, I got in the night before, I got jumped in the cab. I said, I need you to take me to the best um, barbecue place um, in the area. And his first question was, do you want wet or dry? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, said, I, want, I said, I want both. He took me to two spots. One, and I forget I forget their names. I went and got the wet. I went and got the red, the, uh, the dry. I went back to my hotel room and comatose. Yeah. Um, on on some amazing rib, and I had to get up the next day and go meet some guys. And yeah, don't I don't ever advise that um, unless you have some time off. Um, so <laughs> go to Memphis; they got some of the best uh, barbecue in the country. Right, right, exactly. So, Jerome, we're happy to have you here. Well, thank you for yeah. thank you for thank you for joining us. Um, how long have you been an, an advisor? Uh, for uh, 21 years, I started in 2001, brand new, wow. went through training in 2001. My, right. Right my, 
right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. My first date, I'll never forget this date. October 19th, 2001 was my first day, live date out of training. Wow. So after 9-11 and everybody thought the world was coming to an end. Oh, we did. We really did. <laughs> but the beauty is I've never seen our country come together more so right after that right. event. I mean, right. completely loved it. I mean, everybody came together. But I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about your journey. How did you get to even look at the financial industry as a man of color, um, knowing that our statistics in the industry are just paltry? But we'd love to find, uh, you know, hear your journey from, you know, as a, as a kid. And what made you think about being a financial advisor and then just your path along this way? Yeah, it was a uh, it was a long one. I, hopefully I won't ramble too long. But uh, so I'm actually I grew up in Canton, Mississippi. That's uh, about 15 miles north of Jackson. So small town. Both of my parents were, uh, you know, they grew up on farms, one in Canton and one in Utica, Mississippi. So um, my grandparents, neither one of they they were savers. We were always a family of saving. Uh, my granddad, even, you know, he would put money, you know, the he would stick it under his mattress. And uh, I was telling somebody the other day, I'm pretty sure I know there's probably some coffee cans still buried on that land out there somewhere. <laughs> but um, my dad was always a saver. We always talked about saving, but I never really knew anything about investing um, until I got to college. Um, even through high school, we always had, I had friends that had CDs and we had that or savings accounts. But it wasn't until I got to college where I heard people talking about uh, the market. And uh, I think the first crash, the, um, was it 87 Black Monday happened when I was in college. And um, I still didn't really know what they were talking about. I just knew about this, the market. What, what, what is the market? I don't know. My senior year, which was in 88, I took uh, uh, a money and banking class. And that's when it all kind of started coming together. Um, learned about the banking industry and the investment side. Um, ended up working for a, a bank uh, for a couple of years here in town and then uh, decided to go back to grad school and where I kind of uh, at that point I talked to some of my friends from high school and um, at that time some of these guys you know in college and high school they were the term were stockbrokers that was what they were at that time and a lot of them were making a lot of money and I, you know these guys you know you know, you know, some of your friends in high school, you think, man, they're not going to do anything. Well, some of these were, these were, these were some of the guys that I thought, you know, nobody thought they would amount to much, but here they were making all this money. And I said, what are you doing? What is this? So I, you know, would go and talk to them and learn more about it. And um, from my investment courses that I took, I, I took several investment courses in grad school and learned about um, investments and corporate finance and, um, uh, a, a lot of mergers and acquisition courses. Those are things that we, we talked about and actually took a simulated uh, investment class where we picked stocks, um, kind of like the class that did, they would do for, that, that we do for kids now, a mini stock class. But um, I was always nervous about it because it was a commission only. Um, Job. That was the income. It was just commission only. So I would always read. I started getting these magazines and reading about it. My wife, I met my wife in grad school and uh, she kept telling me, you know, you should do this. You should do this. And I said, I, I can't, I'm afraid, I can't, I need to have, you know, we wanted that income. Most, you know, we're always afraid to step out and uh, go on that. And I was, I was that way because I had an opportunity to join, um, some uh, investment firms out of grad school and moved to New York. And there was another thing I did say, man, one that's got to be uh, commission based. And then I got to move to New York and here I am from Canton, Mississippi, you know, Memphis was the furthest place I, you know, North I lived, uh, lived in New Orleans, but um, I was just afraid to kind of branch out. And, and second, here I am, I'm still young in my twenties. Who's going to trust me with, you know, their life savings. Uh, so I just worked in corporate finance for a while, for several years. It wasn't until I uh, moved back. I moved, uh, I lived in Boston. That was my first job out of college, out of grad school. Um, so I worked with several firms, corporate finance, came back to Memphis, 
Um, and um, my wife is a CPA and uh, she was actually cold called by an advisor. And uh, um, she was the one that actually told him about me. And, and he was the one that said, Hey, he called me up or she told me to call him. So she was the one that was, she was my headhunter, I guess. She was looking for me to do something. She thought it was something that I should do. So I guess I owe all of this to her. Um, so ended up calling him and um, he invited me by his office to meet his manager. Um, and we talked for a while and we talked uh, several times. And um, it just so happened that the firm I was with, I was working for a small um, due diligence firm at that time. We did uh, the due diligence for mortgage-backed securities and CMBS, um, uh, uh, things like that. So when um, they ended up selling the firm uh, to GMAC, and a lot of people just kind of scattered, and I was one of those at that point, I guess, I uh, took that opportunity. This was 2001. Uh, so I'd been working for a while. I was uh, about 30 to 30, 33, I believe, and um, um, decided to join um, AG Edwards at that time um, as a trainee. Um, the manager at that time, he liked the idea that I had manager experience and corporate experience. So um, that was kind of how I ended up with in the investment firm as a brand new trainee in my early to mid 30s. That's great. Um, when you first walked into the training program at AG Edwards, yeah, um, what was that like? Um, first of all, was it a group of you guys? So there were um, over a hundred of us in our class. Um, I was the only person of color. There were several small, small group of women, maybe two or three women. Oh, um, that many. That many, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I was, um, I think I, I do believe I was the only one, only African-American. Um, there was another one in the class. So these classes, they did them with every couple of months. Um, so I don't, I, I think the class, the class that came in before me, that was one African-American woman in that class, but there weren't any. And so when I would go back for these training events, I'm always sitting around the room, you know, looking around and, um, you know, you didn't see anybody, you know, that looked like me, you know, yeah. it was, it was, uh, it was a little tough. It was a little at, at times because I, I, you know, I'd go and I'm always, I, I text my wife and, you know, I, you know, that's, you know, there's nobody here. I'm the only piece of pepper in the room. So. <laughs> And that was in that was in 2001 that was in 2001 two three four five you know going on no you keep going <laughs> six seven, eight, four, eight. <laughs> started with the firm in, 01. in uh in 2008 is when we were bought out um and um, my manager ended up moving to another location um to become a complex manager and uh, he tapped me on the shoulder and asked me if i would be the manager uh, was that buster um, he was the regional. He was regional. This was Doc Vaughn. It was Doc, yeah. Doc, yeah. Um, Doc was, yeah, he's a pretty good guy. He, he's, he's uh, a good he, guy. Yeah, he's passed on now. Yeah. Uh, but he had asked me about it. He liked the fact that I was a branch man. I was a bank branch manager. Um, and um, he liked that experience. I didn't know much about managing on the brokerage side, which is completely different. Uh, so, um so yeah, here I stepped in. I spent um, probably the first six months going through training courses. I had to go back and forth to St. Louis. And again, I'm walk looking around, even walking around the home office. Man, where, there's, there's just nobody in this industry. Am I the only one? Um, it was not until, um, I can't remember the year, probably uh, 2012 or so, we started having um, black FA uh, conferences, and I was I was kept thinking to myself, well, how many people do we have? Because I'd never, you know, <laughs> would never seen. It wasn't until we were actually uh, bought out by another firm is when uh, I started seeing more 
African-American advisors and more African-Americans in the home office um, and in management. I was, I was the only manager in the South for several years. Branch so manager. I got, a, I got a couple of questions, but I'm going to stick with one. First of all, you're dead on with the, with the, um, the African-American symposium that they do. Right. Yeah. Um, that I've sponsored a few times, believe me. I did one for a competitor firm of years. I will go nameless, uh, but larger than uh, than your firm, or at least at the time they were. Right. And uh, the qualifications were, yeah. you had to be a financial advisor longer than three years. Uh-huh. Yeah. Stop, period. <laughs> we had uh, a 176 people that were there at that conference. And it was a firm that had well over 15,000 people. So wow. it just, just goes to show you. But my question is this, your experience is gonna be unique to this podcast because we've had Financial advisors, we've had people on the periphery around advising. We've had Greer and that's a transition. Um, we've had people that left and went on their own. We've had planners, we've had all of it, but we haven't had a branch manager yet. Mm. So someone who is in, who's both held the bag as an advisor and then managed those holding the bag. And so my question is this, your branch was where? In Tennessee? In Memphis, in, Tennessee, in Memphis. Yeah. Yep. So you are a black manager mm -hmm. managing not a whole lot of folks that look like you. Yeah, right. Without stepping on toes or <laughs> you know, and, 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 uh, and getting into trouble and getting us a lawsuit. Can you describe at times some of the challenges that that presents itself with? Oh. Yeah. You don't uh, have to name a soul. But don't have to name soul. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, let me see, where to start? Because um, <laughs> you have several different things going on. You have sure. the uh, political environment. So you, you're always, uh, you know, people, um, you know, you know, catching someone saying the wrong thing. Uh, so, um, I was, I was kind of lucky at first because, uh, I guess I had gained some respect. Doc Long, he had, he endorsed me and then so did Buster. Uh, they kind of, they had endorsed me on the front and, uh, other people had asked, but they're, you know, you have some of these older guys that have been in the business. Uh, for a long time, you know, and we're in that good old boy network uh, where um, they would not um, come to you. They would try to go over your head at times. So mm -hmm. you had to, um, you have to step in and um, I had to step in and basically um, enforce a few things and let people know you know, where, you know, the chain of command, so to speak, that, you know, no, don't, you can't, don't go to, you know, John or Joe over here. This, this, you need to come to me with this. So that was the, um, that was kind of the challenge point. And for me is not, you know, not being able to speak up and say certain things that you want to say, you know, I always think about that, uh, the skit, um, we're being frank here with, oh, you know, when, uh, Obama, the Saturday Night Live bit where you have the the, the <laughs> you talking about his speaker behind him? Say what do you wanted to say? Because I could say some things. That was the biggest challenge because I wanted to. I did. I, I need to have these people, you know, stand up for me. Um, but I had to. I had to bite my tongue a lot. Um, so I was stressed. I, I was stressed. You, if you can ask my wife, I would come home stressed those first few, that first couple of years until my, I did finally, and we'll get back to, you know, this was after Ed, I, I did finally hire uh, someone from a competitor firm, another black FA, because when I got the position, I called him and I told him, I, you're going to be the first one. And it took me a couple of years, a few years, but I finally got him over and he was that person for me. <laughs> I, got so you. I could leave the room. And he would say what needed to be said, what I couldn't say, right? Uh, you know, and keep my job. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great that you had an advocate. I mean, uh, right, right. 
I, I feel like I am like having a little bit of PTSD from my oh. wirehouse days listening to this conversation because what, what some advisors didn't ever realize was that their support staff was always listening and they always knew more than they thought they did. And they mm -hmm. always had, they, we just always knew what was going on. Like we answered your phone before you did half the time. So we knew who was calling and what kind of conversation it was going to be. You know, we heard things that were supposed to be closed door conversations that um, managers were not supposed to hear or that advisors were not supposed to hear. I, I sat outside of my district manager's office for a few months in my the position that I was in. So I was listening to conversations that were being had all across the the district. And I had the conversations, oh, some of the things you were just saying, like um, just mm -hmm. brought me back to some days where um, the office politics in this industry are just, uh, it's yeah. exhausting. It's exhausting. Um, it's exhausting. It, it yeah. was. But yeah. yeah we, we had a conversation um, in, in a previous uh, session where we talked about, you know, assimilating and, uh, and, and some of the, some of the things that we do, um, I call it dialing up and down your blacklist. That's the, that's the, the not PC way of saying that. Um, but it's what we do. And so I, I can only imagine, and maybe you can illuminate for us, mm -hmm. you know, what that is for you being the boss. It's one thing for me to be a wholesaler, um, the sales guy, I run distribution now, I don't have to worry about that stuff. And, but I remember walking, you know, around the branches and, and of course I'm the, I'm the, I'm the pepper in my territory, no matter what firm I was at, be it Bank of America or Goldman. And, uh, and, and, you know, the assimilation there was huge. I get home and just unload. I can only imagine the perspective of you having to not just, not just fit in, but to be in charge, right, um, right, yeah. a whole different posture, a whole different perspective. And in, in the South. In the, and South. in the South. And in the South. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's tough recruiting. It's, it's, uh, yeah, you have to walk a, um, a fine line, um, about that, uh, with that. And I, uh, you know, I've had some experience with that at the bank, you, you know, you're talking to people, to clients to recruits and, um, you know, I, I don't know what the typical black man sounds like, but I would hear when they come in, they walk Apparently in. Apparently it's not us. It's not us, <laughs> right. You get that look and- um, You're going, not supposed to sound man, like that. You, you don't sound like, yeah. And they stop themselves. And you want to sound like what? What, do you, what, what am I supposed to be? So, <laughs> um, and no, getting that respect. I'm sorry. I said, no, please finish your sentence. I would like right. to hear what you're yeah, going yeah, to say. I like to hear. Like to hear. Um, well, it, it, it amazes me the, the perception is what they base this stuff on, right? They base it on characters of, of who we are. And, of who we and are, right. right. Yeah, they, right. They, they don't base it on any fact. I, mean, I always ask the question when people are leaning that way, I say, let's well, right, it's cool. How many black people do you know? <laughs> We've done that before too, yeah. Right. <laughs> Ask, yeah, that's that's come up. They'll say something. I let the other FA that I was talking about. He would. He had to be. You know, how many people do you know? Then? How, who, you know, what what are you expecting? So, uh, yeah, that has come up in the past, and it. But well, now it doesn't because you know we've broken off. But even before, you know, just a few years ago, um, you know, some of those things would still come up. Unfortunately. Uh, but we we were I will say this I will say that I was lucky for the most part we did have um, a pretty good branch um, so it, those some of those things early on were you know or I could say well early on but later on were kind of far and in between um, after that initial um, hurdle of getting over it and having people you know come to Septon. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. still, when it came to recruiting, though, that was that was another. Okay. I still, okay. I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I may be jumping the gun, but that was the no, one. no, no, no. The, the gun is perfect. That was that's a that, great segue because now uh, we hear this 
this story, yeah. this legendary story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ed, you want me to jump in there? Because Ed, he worked for the firm. He was the recruiter part. He was the recruiting. He was in recruiting. So in and, a previous life, um, in a we, period, worked at right. the same, and, uh, we worked at the same firm. And my role was to travel the South and work with managers to recruit financial advisors. Um, tip, our typical recruiting meeting would last an hour plus. Um, so we, um, Jerome found an advisor that wanted to talk. Um, so I flew to Memphis and this is when the barbecue story from earlier came in. Um, so we were meeting the gentleman. It was after lunch sometime. So here's Jerome, the branch manager in Memphis, Tennessee. Card says branch manager, vice president. Here's me flying in from Atlanta. Card says regional business director, senior VP. So the Morgan Stanley guy comes in. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that one. But the gentleman, the gentleman comes. The gentleman comes in. He comes. We talked to the person. We talked to the guy just the prior yeah. day, right? Or that yeah. morning. We, we talked to him to confirm, and he was still good. He said, "Yes, I definitely want to. I definitely want to meet you guys, and you know, I can't wait." Um, so he gets there. He comes to the door. He's looking for us, and we like, you know, we're over here. We're and you can just see his face. The face just his changed. face just it like it like he saw a ghost. It was just that a shock. He could not. He was like, and I I would have loved to have been that little man in his head to see what he was <laughs> actually thinking, because he got there. He can I can tell he was blown away because we you know we give him his cards and he's looking at our cards and he's looking at us and he's looking at our cards and he's looking at us <laughs> and and I know in the back of his mind he was like how did these boys get here. I know in the back of his mind that's what he was saying. <laughs> our our meeting, I think, you know, we did the you know the normal stuff, but you can tell he was so uncomfortable. He was so uncomfortable. He was I so mean, ready to leave. It's like he had some 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 tight tidy whities on that he just he couldn't he couldn't <laughs> handle it. Um and because he kept switching in his seat and yeah. Jerome, I think the meeting lasted what 20 minutes? I don't even know if it lasted that long because I think, like you said, as soon as he saw us, he was ready to go, it seemed like to me. That was the impression that I got. I was yeah, just, just kind of oh, watched completely. him thinking, okay. But. Well, it was certainly something he'd never seen before. And imagine oh, no. one for the show. Oh, no. would have exploded no. right there on the spot. Yeah. Oh, the bad, yeah, like the bad thing is we had another gentleman. Of, yeah, of, of the firms in town, I was the only black manager. I was the only one in well probably in the south in mississippi um in, in our little region in our in our region i know you are the alabama and georgia um, at that time um we've had a lot of progress since then but you know 2008 9 10 it was it was uh it was a lonely venture <laughs> yeah so so speaking on it's not because we talked about that that guy that just ran out on us because you know he was just scared um, he's like, what kind of firm is is this? I can't go here. I can't. Um, <laughs> talk to us, you know, when, you know, let's just be honest, you don't have an ethnic name. Um, no, no and, I guess and not. A, no, no. And a lot of times people, you know, try to judge individuals based on their names. Um, yes. Greta shared a story um, before about, you know, her name where somebody thought she was a male. Um, Garland is definitely not an ethnic name. Um, okay. So... Right. You know, you get these individuals on the phone. They may not know you. They just, you know, know where you're working and you're the manager and, and then you show up. You know, what are some of the impressions that you, you've you seen and maybe share some of the stories that um, um, from some of those recruiting events that you've been to? Um, well, nothing, nothing really tops that. They were all <laughs> the same because... Um, They'll you get that question, um, you know, are you the manager? Are you? And then, uh, are, or the one is, are you the one that I talked to on the phone? Uh, that's that one. I just kind of laugh. <laughs> um, because I don't, I don't consider myself to have a deep Southern accent either. So a lot of people ask me, um, where are you from? Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> are you from, not, you're not from around here, are you? Right. Uh, well, actually, no, I'm not from Memphis, but uh, no one would believe you that you were from Mississippi because most no, of us like right. this, this is a no Yan one this is a Yankee. No one this is right. a Yankee. This is yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a Yankee exactly. from up north somewhere. Yep. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you get the looks. 
um, like that, where people, you know, just kind of look you up and down. Um, but those are the main things. That's it. That's, that's, and, you know, if I hadn't had that experience on the bank side, it probably would, it, it always bothered me, but it would have probably bothered me more because um, that kind of broke me in. I would, there, I would talk to people, even clients, already clients, and they would come in and they, and I would introduce myself and I would get the same thing. They kind of frown and look like they're not seeing straight. Uh, are you the manager? You know, <laughs> are you the one? Um, and yeah, so it was always hard. I, and I, I, I always thought that was probably part of the problem that I had recruiting as well here in town um, was because of that. They would see me at the meeting or when I would come talk to them. Um, and then it, the word just gets out, you know, they, oh yeah, they got this guy, this, you know, this black guy over here managing and, you know, Memphis, I hate to say it, but we are a good old boy Southern town and people are set in their ways still. Um, cause most of the, the, the population, the age of advisors here, there, you know, they're old. We need to get some more younger people in, in this industry that will uh, help turn the tide well that's so, that's part of the mission of this of this podcast is uh, right we, we talked about that from the very beginning is our hope is that someone that's young would see this and and hear you know your story and others and and be inspired to uh, to not be so intimidated by what this is yeah. because yeah most of us unlike you um didn't really have a plan you know i just arrived here literally um well, you know, yeah. the first chance that I had to get a Series 7 was like, oh, what's a Series 7? That kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but here's the question I did have for you, though. Uh, you've you've scoured the bank. I mean, you were bank side, then private client group, and now you are in the, on the independent finance side. How, how has that transition been for you? Uh, it's been great. It's been good. We've only, I've only, uh, it's only been uh, about three, three and a half months. We, uh, okay. Months, started in May. It's a process that I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, so it's been great. I, uh, it's taken some time, you know, cause now my clients, they trust me. Um, and I always felt that I had to work harder though, to gain that trust, um, you know, so that they have to prove that I actually do know what I'm doing. Um, you know, I, that's why it, it, it may have been me. I felt inclined to get some designations, some initials behind my name um, as well. So I, I do have my CFP and then I have the, um, um, the Chartered Retirement Specialist, the RICP as well. So I think people look at that and they look at the experience and the tenure that I had, you know, the firm that I've been with. Um, and um, they know that, you know, I'm, I, I'm actually going to help you. I'm taking care uh, and I do know what's going on. I try to stay abreast. I have to stay up with what's going on. And, um, and, you know, our experiences are not that different, you know, once yep. we, you know, once they, uh, once we get down and start talking, you know, you know, that's, that's been the biggest thing for me. Um, it's kind of gaining the trust of our clients because, you know, uh, it's interesting when I got into the business, I would, you know, I would think, uh, uh Goal. I, I wanted to help people and I thought I would have, you know, the majority of my clients would be black, but you know, that's, that's not the case right now. So, um, that's a, that's a different ball of wax, man. Yeah. That's, we, a, whole different different right. that's a whole other, a whole other podcast. You're fighting that stereotype too. So, but that's, another, let, me, let me just say we'll it. Have to schedule another time for that. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's a challenge for you because it's almost damned if you do, damned if you don't. Right. Uh, it, there's not a lot of trust amongst black folks with each other when it comes to money. There just isn't. Mm -hmm. That's a cultural thing that's baked in. Um, and then, of course, there's no representation. And I can only imagine white or black being a client and seeing someone in a position that I've never seen before, that I didn't expect to see. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that's part of the problem of being a, an advisor and then trying to go out and, and grow your business is that that's the very first challenge that you have, no matter what, even if you, they can get past the, okay, this is a brown skin man versus a white man, then it comes, well, 
I don't see any brown skin people in this position. So right. it's the same thing as when you're a branch manager. How did he get here? Mm-hmm. Right. What are his qualifications? Right. Is he is he supposed to be here? You know, do I am I am I hiring sort of the bottom rung of this right. thing? Yes. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's, that's what that um, becomes reality. Right. That you bring up a point there. I remember, you know, in the business, you are you're you are um, occasionally um, past accounts from uh, advisors that leave the firm mm-hmm. or whatever. And I had one one guy. Uh, it turned out to be a great relationship. But when I first got his account, he lived up uh, north of Jackson, Tennessee, in a small town. He he told me that I need to come up and see him, come to his house. So I, I did because it was a sizable account and I just felt like I was being interviewed, you know, well, of course I was being interviewed, but he was just, he wanted to know uh, if I knew what I was doing. Cause he was asking me questions about the bond, about bonds, and what he held and mutual funds and how all this. So um, I guess I did okay because we ended up maintaining the account came an annual visit um, with uh, his wife, but it was, I just thought that Thing. That was kind of the first, again, one of my first days with, with the client um, becoming comfortable because he had already searched me out. You know, he looked on the web page and I guess learned, you know, saw what I had, what, what was on there, but he had to see for himself. And I had to, again, I don't, I don't, I don't know that a lot of my counterpart did he go that, that, that extra, that extra yeah. step that I had to do or those steps. So. So sure. you, you you brought something up earlier. You said you, you felt like you had to work harder to gain their trust. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, can you share what some things that you, you did during that process to attempt to gain more trust in, versus what some of your counterparts had to do? Like you, you drove up to Tennessee where yeah. you know sometimes they wouldn't have to do that. They just move the account yeah. over, talk to them, and they're happy. And yeah, they're right. Happy. <laughs> right, right. Talk about whatever. Um, I had to show that, uh, like I said earlier, that we are very similar. So it was, you know, getting in there, you know, it, it not only proving myself to my clients or prospects, but to the other FAs. Members. So it was, um, you know, trying to be one of the first ones in the office and the last one there, um, you know, have, having to open up, you know, as many accounts. And not, you know, so some of my counterparts would come in, they wouldn't, they would dress any kind of way, you know, jeans or golf shirt sometimes. And, um, you know, I felt like I had to, you know, if it, if it wasn't for COVID, I'd still be sitting here with a button down and a tie on and a jacket right now. <laughs> um, so I would always, you know, not until about two or three years ago that I always had to, you know, be one of the, I felt I had to be one of the better dressed ones in the office. Um, I couldn't just show up to meet a client in a golf shirt, and, you know, golf, golf slacks or whatever. You're, you're uh, giving Greer PTSD. I, oh, I'm, I'm doing that again. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, we had a conversation on my first call about the way that advisors dress and, and how different it is for women and how right. like, well, how much more women are judged for what they wear specifically because they're it's not as uniform as what men wear like right. you can tell the difference between like a, an expensive suit and a not expensive suit and you can you know that's but that's really it for women it's right. like well what do you wear that do you wear the expensive suit like the men wear do you wear the pants suit so that you look more like a man and are taken more seriously but then are you also judged more harshly for not being feminine and mm-hmm. or do you wear the skirt suit or do you wear a dress and then you know or do you wear not a suit it's the amount of stress that i had when i was yeah. just support staff around right. Right. these men in suits every single day and trying to decide what was appropriate to wear that wasn't going to get either me leered at or get me in trouble with hr which was a whole totally different story oh, or that was making right. me comfortable or warm or cold or whatever it is. It's uh, yeah. you know, right. you touched on something that we have not even talked about yet um, with anybody else. And that's the topic of dress. 
um, as far as you know from you know black man because you, you talked about you felt like you had to be the best dressed and you know from from the top down to the bottom uh, I remember doing the exact same thing okay <laughs> making sure I had the best suit on uh, making yep. sure the shoes were completely polished like you know, I miss the. I actually miss those guys that actually shine in my shoes. I don't see mm -hmm. any of those anymore. But yeah, making yeah. sure that making sure this shirt is properly crisp and clean crisp. and, and crisp. stuff like. I I remember the first time I wore a shirt that was um, not necessarily a white one or the blue one. It had some um, some alternative like um, stripes in it, and and the looks. That's a no go. That's a no go. Did that one time. Oh. Oh. Oh, okay. oh, I have one. We were at a, I had the regional president, the market. Um, so it was a regional, pre regional president, market manager, and the branch manager. We were at a meeting. And this is when, um, this was right before everyone started wearing colorful socks. Yeah. I had a pair, I had a pair of colorful yeah. socks. On. <laughs> so I... So I had, I, I remember exactly what I had on. I had a navy blue suit on, I had a white shirt, I had a, a tie that was red with little colors in it, and I had some socks on that were kind of red. I'll never forget the branch manager looked down at me. What are you doing with red socks on? <laughs> first of all, I don't work for you. That's the first thing. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you worried about how I dress? But that is something that, you know, we, you that know, I'm talking about that we had we had we felt like we had to step up our game not just on everything else but just the way that we carried ourselves the yeah. way that we dressed right as part right. of the accumulation i always yep. felt that way had to have the conservative you know the, yep. the typical conservative suit on and and act that way as well you know it was a fine line as we talked about earlier there that um you know you had to tone it down a little bit, so to speak. So. There was a uh, there's a advisor up here, and he's still practicing. And Gray, you might know him, so he will, will remain nameless. Um, <laughs> but he looks like me, so that narrows it pull down to like. But he rolled into a um, you know one of those one of those advisor events that where you can bring you know one or two. Uh, clients too, but you have several yeah. advisors that are in the <clears> restaurant, <throat> you know, and then guys like me and Ed will go around buying really expensive wine steaks and, 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 and do a little speech for our money. And uh, this gentleman had on, best way I could describe this church. He had on church, mm. right? So <laughs> yeah, you put your, get your hands off your head, Ed. It was a, it was a brown suit. It was Oh. Big in the shoulders, about six or seven buttons <laughs> over his thighs, you know. And this is this is probably six or seven years ago, so the pants are super baggy, <laughs> long pointed toe shoes, you know, them Stacy Adams from back in the day. Yeah, polished yeah. up, shiny. Oh yeah, but he was working at a warehouse, and oh wow, and then and the next day, apparently, he was reprimanded. He for, was yeah. For, for that particular suit that he wore, and I was like, "Goodness gracious!" I mean, I just, first of all, you know he, you know he thought he was clean. You yeah, know, know. <laughs> right? you know he was clean. clean. That man was Sunday clean. He was, was Sunday. He's right. like, I'm gonna show them right. something today. Right. I'm coming out. And I'm gonna show. Them. I'm bringing out right. this brown man suit. Was cleaned up, boy. He looked at him like, "Bro, get that mess out of here now." <laughs> Brown suit is like a that's, that's really? the no, thing no. that it was always talked about, and I never really understood. It was it was okay when women yeah. wore brown suits, but when a man wore a brown suit, it was like mm -hmm. people were talking about you behind oh, your back God, all day. Yeah, blue suit, navy blue, navy blue, Char right. charcoal gray, charcoal gray, yeah. or black. You don't even see black. Those no. are the main two, and you can yeah. get, you can you can put some you can do a pinstripe blue. Might do a little yep. pinstripes in the gray. In the gray. Yeah. Small pin, no bold pinstripes. No bold no, pinstripes. No, no bold lapel collars either. No. Like you just had no, to, you had you to, told, had to yeah. you had to be Brooks brother clean. Right, right. That's it. Yeah. What was the one that always came around? Tom James. Tom James. Tom James. I got Tom a couple James. of Tom James sitting Boy, in my closet now. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. I'm never wearing them again because I ain't losing these 30 pounds. So <laughs> <laughs> and those things were fit just right. Oh, perfect. Oh, perfect. 
Oh man, you couldn't tell me anything. It fit perfect. Then I tried to put one on two years ago, and I was like, "Ooh." <laughs> so, but that's not the bad part. So I tried to put one on two years ago. I'm like, "Okay, let me call these guys because you know, have them. You know, they didn't come and you know, adjust it. And of course, they tried to sell me some more. And I was like, "No, I'm good." And he adjusted it two years ago. I tried to put it on again. So you, what you're, what you're suffering from is is what I'm suffering from too, and I call it COVID pants. Right, <laughs> yeah. the top parts of our suit fit fine. Oh it's God, yeah, it's great. You got to get rid of it. <laughs> Look, That's just great. go around with some gym pants or shorts, and then we're we're good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, but you know, the whole topic of dress, and I'm so glad that we're somewhat, you know, COVID has changed some of the culture as far as where we dress, because it's not what you have on, it's what you know and what you can deliver to your clients. Um, So, and, you know, and as, as black men, we always tended to have just a little more flash um, than some of our, some of our counterparts, which was kind of frowned on. So you've gotten past all that. Um, Now, now you're on the other side as an independent business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, talk, talk to me about the the decision to go just be a, an independent business owner, running your own practice. Um, and what do you see the future for you as a black man running your own practice? Because if you think about it, you had you know you had a big you had a couple of big firms behind you on your card, right? Where a lot of people saw that and said, "All right, well, you know, he's yeah. safe, right? He's Maybe. safe, right?" Right. He's safe. So uh, now you're now you're you're somewhat not safe in some people's eyes. So what's what's the next phase of Jerome and um, his his business? Uh, well, I'm um, like I was saying earlier too. I think I have gained um, the respect of uh, my clients, and um, I do get occasionally I, I occasionally get referrals from them. Uh, but now. Um, from the black and the white clients. Um, I think um, several of the younger FAs in town from other firms um, know me as well. Um, um, and I've gained their respect as well over the years. So I think the goal, at least, is to um, um, add a few more FAs over time. Um, that would be my goal. Uh, hopefully within the next, uh, five years, I will have two or three more additional FA. Um, and that's, uh, and growing and still growing. Um, I kind of, I left the practice. Well, since I left, I left the, the farm I was at because I wanted to get to a point where I truly own my book of business. You know, they always tell you that, you know, if you're an advisor, you know, this is your book, yourself, your, your, you know, this is your business, your business owner, but you are, but you're not the firm really. And they'll tell you in certain ways that, you know, your clients, they, they, they like to think that they're this, these are, this is their book, this is their client. But, um, I also, I just wanted to own it. I was at a point now where I thought I, I, you know, what I was doing for the firm, I could do it myself and, um, and, um, give it a try. Um, I, I wanted to be one of those, uh, you know, black owned firms and one of the ones, one of the few, if, if not many, there are not many in town again here, it, it's, it comes back to that. Um, uh, and not that many within the, uh, the broker dealer, I'm still with the same, same firm, so to speak. They're our, our um, broker dealer. There are not many black owned, um, uh, uh, owners, I, I guess I would say owners within their independent channel. Right. That's true. That's true in 2022. Right. I'm going to take a stage out of Ed's book and ask you this question. You are graduating high school, heading to college. You have an inkling. Lights keep going off in this room. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you have what you want to do, but you're not quite sure yet. What does 2022, Jerome, tell that young man with all his future in front of him? Hmm. Uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to step out. Um, and uh, don't be afraid to to uh, ask for help and let people know what you really want to do. Uh, That's an excellent answer. Know, take a chance. Yeah, take a chance on yourself. I was, I was, uh, I was afraid to do that back then. 
Yeah, because you said you lost what six or seven years. Six. Uh, uh, well, really, uh, about ten. Yeah, yeah. Because I was really about I was thirty three. Yes, well, I was thirty three when I thirty three, thirty four when I actually got into business. Um, came out of grad school. Yeah, I mean, came out of college at twenty two. Had an inkling about it, but um, you know, I wish I had done it earlier. Didn't take that chance. Um, there are actually people out there that will, you know, that will reach down and help. So, you know, you got to seek them out. Mm -hmm. So, because Garland took my question that I always ask, <laughs> but I, I always have questions in my back pocket. Um, so, Jerome, so you you, you were in your thirties when you finally got into yeah. business. What would you tell? an African-American man, woman, or any person of color or woman um, that's thinking of a career change about getting into this business, what advice would you give them? Um, do your homework about it. Um, it for me, it's, uh, it was the, uh, one of the toughest things that I ever did, but it was also the most rewarding of, uh, of all the jobs i say that i've had and this really is not a job um it's it's a career they say you know I, I have fun uh doing what i do um so i would you know i would tell them again seek out um seek out advice from people uh call me you know i can give you some advice or uh just talk about it but again don't be afraid to to step out on faith well said well said. Greer, questions for Jerome, comments. I kind of want to, so all the stories that you told, what I kind of heard was that there was a little bit of an element of surprise um, in most of them. And so I'm, my question is kind of centered around social media. Do you think that social media and the online presence has kind of changed the way that this industry works a little bit. So you're not really, you know, mm -hmm. like you're not really having conversations with people or going to meet people that don't know anything about you anymore. Oh, yeah. So yes. do you think that that's improved the experience or do you think that it's preventing mm -hmm. some of the conversations now because people know who you are before they meet you? Or do you think like the surprise being taken out of the element is making it better? That question, I don't know. I have to think about that one, but I know, I think it's definitely an impact. It's, it's definitely played an impact. Um, you know, going back to the, um, the person that I went to visit up in, in rural Tennessee, um, we just had the, the firm's online page. So he had gathered information. There wasn't a, you know, or I wasn't on LinkedIn. I don't think there was a LinkedIn or Facebook back then, but now you're exactly right before, um, before you meet people, that's the first thing, you know, the client they're doing. So it, it, you have to, I believe you have to maintain an online presence, um, a business presence, a, a LinkedIn. Um, cause I do that when I'm, if I'm going to meet a prospect, I'm doing the same thing. I'm trying to search them on Facebook or LinkedIn and say, who is this person? What do they do? Who do they know? Um, so are doing that to see, to see it does take a little bit of the element of surprise out. I'm not, I haven't, I have to think of it. If it's a, um, I don't know if it's uh, good or bad. It, it, um, I think it may be a little bit of both um, because now people, uh, they may, they can say, well, no, I'm not going to go meet with this person just based on the look and not kind of talking to you and not knowing uh, what you know or how you present yourself, they're just looking at a picture. Right. I, um, I know for a long time, I, I didn't have a LinkedIn picture on, on my profile. And for mm -hmm. that reason, and uh, it's funny, ironically, my, uh, you know, my business partner, Jeff Highback, who I talk about a lot um, at SEM, his perspective was really enlightening and very simple at the same time. He said, it's really easy, Garland. If, if someone's truly judging you based on your LinkedIn photo, we probably don't want their business. Don't want them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's so exactly Gar it. Yeah. yeah. So Mr. Garland, any follow-up questions, closing thoughts? No, my closing thoughts are this, uh, Jerome, 
I feel like I almost knew you before we got on this podcast based on Ed's stories. Um, but sin sincere gratitude and appreciation for the things that you're trying to get done. Um, not very easy to, to do it where you are and to do it so successfully. So congratulations and thank you. Thank um, you. Because of people like you who are in this business for so long, you know, the folks that are coming in can now look and say, well, no, wait, a minute. we got at least a person that's representing who we are, where I stand. And I think that's hugely critical um, for this next generation coming in. So we really appreciate you being on this podcast. And appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. I, I echo everything that Garland said, but I want to give you an opportunity if you want to land any closing statement to anyone that might be listening. Um, this is your opportunity, sir. Oh, you didn't expect that one. I did not expect that one. I think I'm, I've kind of I've worn out all of my statements, I believe. <laughs> uh, I appreciate everything. I appreciate the opportunity to be to uh, to join you guys. Um, you know, it has been a it has been a journey. Um, it's been fun. It's been bumpy. Uh, not all easy, but um, you know, for someone that's looking to get in this field, I, I, I will say that uh, it is it is a great industry, a great field to be in. Um, it's a great career. Uh, you meet um, a lot of people. I've met a lot of people who have become friends, contacts. You know, Ed, I consider you, you one. Now, Garland and Greer, you're gonna be added on that list as well. Um, you meet a lot of interesting people. Um, and it is something um, that I would encourage um, people of color, we would we go out and try to recruit uh, at some of the schools, and it's always tough. They, you know, don't don't let the fact that it's a strictly commission um, scare you away. This is uh, it's a it's something that can be very very beneficial um, to you, and you will gain a lot of satisfaction from um, being able to help people meet their goals and get them to the point where they want to be. Um, I would I would welcome um, the opportunity to speak with anybody if you no matter where you are if you just want to talk uh, about it I can uh, give you some more insight on what I've been through and uh, kind of help hopefully help you make a decision. How can they reach out to you? How, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, they can um, probably uh, my uh, number nine zero one eight three two four one one six. You know, call or text. Uh, that would, you know, I would tell you a uh, a text is probably the best way to catch me <laughs> with that number. <laughs> uh, let me know uh, who you are and where you where you saw me, and um, I can uh, respond. Um, I will simply say thank you. Uh, first of all, yeah. thank you for offering yourself up to talk to anyone. So for anyone that's listening to this, that you know, maybe early in their career or thinking about a career in financial services, reach out to them. Anytime that someone says, reach out to me, mm -hmm. do it. Because a lot of times, you know, a lot of times people don't do it. Right. And it's right. unfortunate because yeah. you never know what can yeah. happen from a simple yeah. conversation. I will say that. Please do. Because I that was, um, that was always one of the things when I became a manager, I wanted to do was try to encourage more people that's why i hung around at my firm for so long i wanted to uh, encourage more people to become managers to get into management and um you know we we finally started seeing that um started seeing more more um uh, people of color more black guys more uh women as well um get in so i was that was i was happy to finally see that but um Again, I'll be happy to talk to anybody. Yeah, well, thank you for not giving up. Yeah, I know it's one of those days where it's kind of dark and you, you go home and toss the bag to the side and sit and vent with the wife uh, <laughs> about what, how it was. And it would have been easy to just quit and go do something else. Very easy. And I will tell you, you are a role model to a lot of people you don't even know yet. So thank, thank you, you for continuing to stay in the industry. Um, I appreciate it. We, Garland, Greer, and myself, we appreciate you for tuning in. Jerome over in Memphis, Tennessee. I got to come over there and get some more um, barbecue. But I don't, know if my waist can I don't know if my <laughs> waist can handle it anymore. 
Uh, I think I'm just going to start buying pants with elastic bands. Uh, uh, <laughs> we got non-fat barbecue. <laughs> So. Non-fat barbecue. <laughs> that sounds like non-taste barbecue. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, it's all in your mind. If you think it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. But this has been another journey. The financial advisor expense. Thank you to all those who have t- tuned into um, the podcast. I guarantee, if you listen to this in its entirety, you go back. You're going to learn something new each time you listen to it. So, Jerome, thank you. Garland Greer, it's always a pleasure to be with my GGs. Yeah, that's your new official name, the GGs. Like <laughs> Take care, everybody. Have a great one. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys.